Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. God, thank you for this time, for these people. And Lord, I pray that we would still our minds and our hearts from all the distractions that keep us from hearing your voice, that stop us from coming to the one who loves us completely. And Lord, I desire and we desire for a strong work to take place within each of our lives. And Lord, we know that you are willing. Lord, may we be willing. May we be willing to allow your work to transform us and to change us. May your grace affect the way we live. And we thank you for this morning and an opportunity for all this to take place. In Jesus' name, amen. In Mark, Mark 1, verse 1 through 13, it reads, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in, Jordan, in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by Satan. 
He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. And John 1, 1 through 13. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Thank you, Lydia. Thank you, Daniel. I have been reading a number of authors, uh, different theologians, and have been really enjoying some of the background and history, Walter Brueggemann, N.T. Wright, and others that have just so much information about what is taking place at the time when Scripture is being written. And the reason I had Lydia and Daniel read from two uh, different Gospels is because I am going to be going through a series where I am going to be looking at the Gospel of John, but the themes that are found also in the other Gospels. And I may have bitten off more than I can chew because, man, it was a lot of work trying to put this together, but there's something, I think, that is rich to be found here. Um, And I hope that through this... We will not just learn more about the gospel, but we will learn more about Jesus himself, that we'll get a a picture of him that maybe is bigger than what we had seen previously. Now, the first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the synoptic gospels. And synoptic means to basically see the same. The word optic is to see. The sin, S-Y-N, is the same. And it is seeing from the same perspective. And it's not that they are seeing everything exactly the same, but they're coming from a perspective of kind of being there at the time, talking about it as if they were there, because they were, with Jesus But they're dealing with it in a a present tense. And it's something that they are doing because this is how they are trying to relate to us, the events that happen with Jesus. And so these gospels are coming from this vantage point, this vantage point of we were here, he did this, and then the next time he did this, and then he did this. And there's almost a sense that they didn't know what was going to be happening. And we kind of get that throughout the the book. And now 
John and his gospel was written after the other three. The gospel of John was written, they guess, between 90 to as late as 100 AD, AC, whatever you want to say. But it is after, years after the other three gospels. And why is it different? Why are there so many things different from John's gospel as opposed to the synoptics? And that's kind of the question. That's the the journey. That's the expedition that I want to go on. Finding out why are these things there? Why did John write this gospel? John does not report the same miracles that the other gospels did. In fact, he introduces others that the other synoptic gospels don't have, like the raising from Lazarus from the dead is not in the synoptics. It's only in the gospel of John. John does not have the parables in it that is in the other gospels. And so there's these major themes in each of these sets of gospels that are very powerful, but are excluded from the other. And why is that? What's going on and why is he doing that? John does not include exorcisms, right? There's no demons being exercised in his gospel. The transfiguration is not in John's gospel. The Last Supper is not in John's gospel. The celebrating of Passover is, but not the Last Supper. And so there's so many things that are taking place. Have you ever heard a good story or maybe you you go to some friend's house and maybe it's a husband and wife and they're telling you about an event that happened and they were both there at the event and so they both start telling and then they start interrupting each other because they have a little insight into what happened right it's like oh we were in new york and then you know we started walking and it started raining oh and it we didn't have an umbrella at all and it just started pouring and then it's like it's kind of fun to watch them compete to tell the story because they each have something to share about this story and they want to they want to share this good news and by the way i'm going to be talking to you about a good story red wine tree houses and matthew mcconaughey Okay, that's what we're talking about. Why does John veer from the other Gospels? Why is it so different from the synoptics? Why isn't there more overlap like there is with the other three Gospels? And the answer, I think, is part of this adventure that I want to delve into with you. You see, John is the last of the four written. The other three had been in circulation before John wrote his gospel. John did not have to say what had already been said. His concern was to write what was missing from the others. And when I say what is missing, I don't mean that they were lacking It's just he wanted to fill in some things that he wanted to put in there. And it's interesting because it's not just events that happen, but it's depth of the events that happen. John assumes that his readers were familiar with at least one of the synoptics, maybe all of them. And we know this because throughout his gospel, there's these kinds of references. 
in John chapter 1, verse 40, where he's introduced to Andrew, it says he was Simon Peter's brother, and he assumes the readers already know who Peter is. There is no introduction to Peter. There's just Andrew, Peter's brother. There's this assumption that you know who he is. In chapter 3, 24, he assumes his readers knew about John the Baptist, that he was imprisoned already. Because he doesn't talk about him being in prison. He just says that this was, be- this was before John was put into prison. In John eleven two, he talks about Mary, whose brother Lazarus, now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. But that didn't happen. He talks about it later, but it didn't happen previously. And there's these kinds of things that happen throughout John's gospel that we see that these other gospels were in circulation. So people were familiar with what was there. They knew who Peter was. They knew who Mary was. They knew about these stories. And so he does not go into depth about them. He just gives a reference to them because he believes that they're already known. So what is missing from the synoptics? And again, I use that word missing just because John is writing his gospel differently, I believe, intentionally. And he's trying to fill in some things that he wants us to know that we did not get from the others. It doesn't mean that they're lacking. It's just that there's more to know. You know, Jesus said in the parables in Mark 4, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? There's times where throughout the synoptic gospels, they seem totally clueless, right? He he says later in Mark 7, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see regarding the scribes and the Pharisees how he says to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees? And then they start going, oh, it's because we didn't bring any bread. And he's like, no, I'm not talking about bread. I'm talking about what defiles a person. It's not the food they eat. It's not ceremonially being unclean. It is the hypocrisy that Luke will then talk about. Right? There's this kind of cluelessness that the disciples that we see throughout the synoptic gospels because they're writing it as they remember it happening. Remember when Jesus said this and we like weren't sure what he's talking about. Right? He started talking to us in parables, gave us this parable about the sower and the seeds. And we like, wow, Jesus, that's a, that's a beautiful story. What does it mean? And he goes, you don't understand? If you don't understand this, how will you understand all parables? So many times they were just unaware of these things, even regarding his death and resurrection. They did not understand the sayings, and they were afraid to ask him, it says in Mark chapter 9, verse 32. And so we see in the synoptic gospels this unaware attitude of what is really going on with Jesus until after the resurrection. But John indicated eventually they would get it, right? Jesus says in John 16, I have said these things to you in a figure of speech, meaning the parables, even though he didn't 
record the parables in his gospel. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. You see, John is now looking back and reading these other gospels, and he's thinking, okay, what can I share that I now know these years later? John was the eldest at the time when this is written. He did not die a martyr's death, as did Peter, as did James and the others. He lived in exile on the island of Patmos, as he looked back and wrote about these things, he's writing back, remembering all these things and trying to help us and those who read the other gospels see more fully who Jesus is. John's point of view is different than synoptics and that it is not stuck in their same time frame. He is not looking at it as if he was there talking about it. He's looking at it from a different perspective. One that's looking back, but with not only hindsight, but a little bit of wisdom and foresight as well. You know, some things take time to fully understand. I don't know about you and your faith journey, but mine has continually developed over the years, and I hope it continues to, right? The moment I think I know all there is to know about God, God help me. What size of a God would that be? And so there's a growth that takes place, not just in knowledge, but in experience. It happens with us in so many ways as parents. How many parents look back and say, oh gosh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Any hands? Okay, a few of you, okay. Those of you who have babies, I hope that doesn't happen to you. But if it does, just know that you're with company. Right? There's just wisdom that you find out how to treat human beings as time goes on that you don't know of, especially these little human beings that are so malleable and then so stubborn. Right? I mean, how can this little kid have such a strong will? I don't know. I supposedly they got it from their mother. <laughs> you know, some things just take time. You know, there are some wines that get better with age because they have a low pH, whatever that means. And as time goes on, they mellow. So the acidic levels aren't as strong and aren't as pronounced. And you get more flavor in the wine. And it can't happen any other way except through time. As time goes by and John is able to reflect on all the things that happened in his life as he walked with Jesus as he experienced life with Christ, and as he's read these other gospels, he is now able to write and say, oh man, I've got something I need to add. I've got something that they didn't say that needs to be said. I've got something that I want you to know. John was so different that until about the 18th century or in the 18th century, 
there were a number of scholars who did not think that John was historically accurate because he was so varied from the other Gospels. And it wasn't until the last 300 years where they've had archaeological evidence that supports actually a lot of the things that John is talking about. But it was so different, they thought, oh, he couldn't, this is just stories. Or, or they would try, and of course, not all scholars, not the conservative ones, but there was definitely a lot of scholars that tried to poo-poo John and say he's not historical because it was so different from the others. But now they find out, no, he was actually there. He actually knew what was going on, and he actually has some insight that we didn't know before that we're now finding out is taking place. And so... Without repeating them, he brings out hidden meaning of Jesus' words and deeds. What John does is illuminate the things that they didn't get at the time. When they wrote it and they didn't fully understand, what is he talking about when he would talk about, yeah, you know, I'm going to rise again from the dead. What does that mean? They didn't understand until after the resurrection. But John is looking back and he says, oh, remember, I remember, I remember. It's like John is writing a spiritual commentary on the synoptics, not an exegetical commentary that rationally dissects and analyzes what's there. John reveals what was revealed in the synoptics, but underneath the surface. Things that you might not see as you just read over it once, John wants to say, there's more happening than you understand. And I think this is an amazing thing to recognize that there is such depth in the person of Christ that we can ever learn of him, that we can always gain from who he is and all the things that are there to find out. The, the resources cannot contain all that we can learn about Christ. It even says so. And so it's wonderful to see John going back and unveiling things that aren't seen on the surface of the other Gospels. And I can imagine that years after reading these, John would think, oh, this would go so well, right? It's that person telling the story and you go, oh, you can't forget this part because this part makes this part come alive, and all that time that John would be reading, he's probably thinking, I, I've got to write something because there's more to be said. How is it in your life in following Christ? Is there more? Is there more to learn? Is there more to be said? Is there more to discover? Or is it enough? Are you still hungry? Because the biggest fear I have is to be complacent and to be satisfied, to become stagnant, to think that I'm okay as I am. My wife will tell you otherwise, but I need to know that as well. I want to stay hungry. I want to learn. I want to find out all I can about who this Jesus, this Christ is and how he wants me to live. With this in mind, let's look at just a couple of the passages that we read. 
In the first sentence, both Mark and John talk about a beginning. Mark says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, Mark's beginning refers to the ministry of Jesus. Remember, Christ is the title, Jesus Christ, Son of God. And so he's talking about the ministry of Jesus after the baptism. John goes all the way back to the beginning of the universe and obviously is borrowing from Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The first chapter of Genesis tells how the world came into existence But the first verse in John actually tells us why. You see, it's so that God can be known. That God could be known and loved by everyone. And especially in John, God is concerned with the entire world. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, John is taking a whole different perspective. When I used to live in Hollywood, I made a treehouse, me and my friend. And in this treehouse, we could climb up and we could see the whole neighborhood. And I could see the street that would go in front of our house and then it would circle around and then it would go behind our house. And it was nice to be able to see. I could see when my parents were coming home and I had to behave, right? I had to put things away or stop Anyway, I won't go into that. I could see a distance because I was in a different place and I had a different vantage point. John is now looking and he's saying, yeah, I'm not talking about just when Jesus' ministry started. I'm talking about the beginning of creation and what God was doing through the person of Christ. God was making himself known, making his love known. See, Genesis tells us what happened, how God is responsible But John 1 is telling us why it happened, because God loves you. God loves the world that he gave his son. Matthew and Luke begin with the virgin birth. Why? It's significant that that's how they're going to explain how he can be the son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. John begins with light. In him was light, and it was the light of all men. He he starts from a beginning of creation, right? The word was with God, the word was God. And yet, he also describes someone who is human. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as the only son from God, full of grace and truth. The synoptics also make reference to the glory of God and Jesus. Especially Luke, the most dramatic would be the transfiguration that takes place in Luke chapter 9. But in those days, he told them to keep silent about this, right? They went up to the mountain, Jesus shone, they saw him transfigured, and they were overwhelmed as he was with Moses and Elijah, and they didn't know what to do. 
And Peter says, Lord, it's good that we were here as they're going down. Let us build, you know, some tabernacles for you, some booths to accommodate this. And Mark tells us that he said that because he didn't know what to say. He just had to say something. You know those people? Maybe you're one of those that's like when there's quiet. I've been in that situation. There's that awkward silence. Oh, I think I'll say something. How about those Dodgers, right? It's like whatever. I can just find something to say to try and break the ice. And it just wasn't the right thing to say. You see, Mark explains he didn't know what to say. And on the way down, the three disciples puzzled over what this idea of, no, the Son of God must go die and rise from the dead. they were wondering, what does that mean? So they witnessed a revelation of Jesus' glory that he talked about just in the previous chapter. But they didn't understand it. And so the synoptic gospels are talking about it from that perspective. And there's times where I got to tell you, I just don't understand it. There's times where I am right there with them and I only see in front of me and I don't understand the why the things happen. I don't understand what God is doing or going to be doing. All I see is what's happening and there's a lot of times I have questions. And I might not have the answer to these questions until later on. And maybe like John, time has to go by and God has to do a work in my heart and God has to bring a revelation of what he was doing later on. Only time can reveal. But John is writing, looking back, and he doesn't talk about the transfiguration, even though he was one of the three that were there. Jesus' glory is one of John's central themes. Throughout his gospel, this idea of glory comes out over and over again. Like the synoptics, the fullness of Jesus' glory would be revealed in the future, but unlike them, it would happen in his death and resurrection as well as his return. And John reports that even during the time of his ministry, his glory occasionally just would break through, right? This, the first of his signs, Jesus did in Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory in John chapter 2, the wedding. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it in John 11. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God, John chapter 11. The glory of God, what is that? That is the expression expression of God, the radiance of God. Remember, glory has weight to it. It's not just illumination. It's substance. The substance of who Jesus is would show up in different events throughout his life. And, and so in the synoptics where it talked about it, you know, in the transfiguration and then the resurrection, John says, no, it was actually happening throughout and I'm just telling you about all these times where this light would come out. You know, it's, can you imagine Spielberg doing a gospel rendition where every now and then Jesus would just glow, right? And this radiance would come out. Remember when you'd have like a flashlight and put it under your hand so you could see through it? You know, I could just see this, you know, it could be so cool. It's not what happened, but it would look cool. Something was going on that John saw that was radiant, that had substance. The glory of God was seen in Jesus, not just on the transfiguration and not just at the resurrection, but throughout 
his work and life. John reports throughout this time. And so he would say, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This is such a beautiful verse. Truth is what we live. It's not just what we know. And we have a hard time understanding that. We think truth is just something you learn and know. But truth is something you live. And grace is what enables us to live it. Truth isn't about just information. It's about how we live. And grace allows us to live beyond our own resistance, beyond our own stubbornness. Grace is what is able to penetrate our lives and bring out more than we can on ourselves. In the synoptics, Jesus' ministry commences with John the Baptist. And in John also, Jesus' ministry commences with John the Baptist. Only John doesn't tell us that Jesus was baptized by John. His readers, of course, would know that. right? They've already read this, and so they're familiar with this story. But he does tell us that he saw the Spirit descend on Jesus. This was a signal that he had been given to John prior to the meeting of Jesus. It talks about that in John chapter 1, verses 31 and 33. John has more to say, a lot more about the Baptist than the Synoptics Gospels do. And he quotes John the Baptist's speech a lot more, and that's because Jesus or John's role was that of a witness. He was there to be a witness in John chapter 1, Verse 7, verse 15, verse 19, verse 32, chapter 5, verse 33. Witnesses to Jesus are important because that's part of John's plot of the proof of who Jesus is. He's got the witness of John the Baptist, the witness of the Father, the witness of the Spirit, the witness of the miracles. All these things are talking about it. Why? Because it's a testimony of, right? I never thought about buying a Lincoln car until I saw Matthew McConaughey driving one, right? And now it's like, man, it's got a cool voice that goes with that car, right? Now, I don't know if he really drives one or not, right? And I'm not going to buy a Lincoln, but you know how many Lincolns were sold because Matthew McConaughey just has that little thing and he talks and he goes, yeah, the road or whatever he says, Right, The whole reason you get celebrities or other people to testify is because it gives validation to what you're wanting to say. Well, John's giving validation to Jesus through the Baptist, through the Father, through the Spirit, through the miracles, even through Moses. He's validating all these things. They're helping him to give that validity. But John's objective here is to get the readers to a point of faith where they do not need proof. Why? Because the Spirit of God is the witness. Blessed are you, Thomas, because you have seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. Why? Because the Spirit of God is wanting to speak to you. Not through them to you, but to you. And John is really helping us to see that throughout this ministry of Jesus, what God is doing is bringing the Spirit of God to the people of God 
directly. No longer through a priest, no longer through a person, but through his spirit. And now we become the temple of God. When John the Baptist's first encounter with Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In the synoptics, the Passover meal becomes the Lord's Supper. At Passover, a lamb was sacrificed, commencing, commemorating Israel's salvation from Egypt. And at that time, the lamb's blood was applied to the doorposts and the people were delivered. But John is saying it happened at the very beginning. The lamb of God is here now. Not just at his death. But the salvation is here, present. And later, Moses would sprinkle blood on the people saying, Behold, the blood of the covenant of the Lord has made, he has made with you in Exodus 24. In the synoptics, Jesus identified the cup of the Lord's Supper with his own blood. In John's gospel and in the Revelation, Jesus becomes the Lamb of God. The synoptics tell us that John the Baptist proclaimed a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. In John's gospel, forgiveness of sin becomes a taking away the sin of the world. And I'll let you just think about what does it mean to have sin forgiven and the difference between sin being removed, taken away from the world. Have you ever had to say goodbye to someone and you just wish it wouldn't come to that, that you didn't have to say goodbye? Maybe your son is in the military and he's going away or they're moving out of state, someone you love and you're having to leave them and it's so hard to say goodbye. And you maybe get on the plane or they get on the plane and they leave and you think, oh, I didn't tell them I love you or I wanted to give them one more hug. There's been times where I don't know for what reason that when my boys especially would leave somewhere where I was slow to embrace them, I don't know why. But I I can remember one time where one of my boys left and I didn't give him a hug goodbye And it just broke me because I thought, oh, my God, I don't know what's going to happen. I I wish I would have hugged him goodbye. Now I've since seen him, and now we don't let it go by without giving him a hug. I want that to always take place. I don't want to miss out on that opportunity. John has an opportunity here that he doesn't want to miss that he wants us to know about Jesus. And the message of John's gospel is that in Jesus, the disciples had more than they realized the whole time. That they didn't understand what Christ was and what he was to do and who he was to them. They didn't have the fullness and understanding and he didn't want to let that go by. 
Because something powerful is happening here. Something is going on where he's wanting us to know so deeply. And so he would tell Philip, have you been so long with me, Philip? And you don't know that he who has seen me has seen the father. See, John is making this known because Jesus is so much more. And here's the thing about Jesus and about following Christ and about religion in general. You see, I know it's a very common thing to say, well, all religions are the same, but there's a difference. And here's the difference. You see, every religion that I am aware of, and maybe there's some that vary and I'm not aware of, but every religion I'm aware of, it's a matter of what you do and how you live to get close to God. And so you have to pray, you have to meditate, you have to eat certain foods, you have to keep certain laws, you have to do certain things. And here is a gospel where God comes down to you. Instead of you trying to reach God, here is God reaching to you. And people say, you know, well, I just believe in this and I believe in that. And I'm not trying to put down anyone's faith. But here is the thing. There is no other God that has come for you. When we say that Jesus is the way, it's not that we're trying to say other things are bad. We're just saying there is no other God who has come down and made himself known to the place where he has taken on flesh and blood and given himself completely to you. And John is saying, this is amazing. It is overwhelming. God's love has been shed abroad in our hearts and we are overwhelmed. We have seen and declaring to you the glory of him. When? not just the transfiguration throughout his whole life from the virgin birth to the crucifixion to the resurrection to the ascension God is doing something through the person of Christ and I have to expound on it because you don't get it I don't get it it is too deep it is too powerful and I can't compare it to anything else even these other gospels as wonderful as they are don't capture everything there is more to be said there is more to be said in your life in my life with the gospel of Jesus Christ God has reached down to you he has embraced you through the person of Christ and he's wanting to do a work in your life what am I going to do with that What will I do with that? I I can't just, oh, that's nice, and go on my merry way. It is meant to rattle my cage. It is meant to shake the foundation of my life. It is something that Jesus said, if any man comes after me, let him pick up his cross and follow me. Why? Because it is that good. This is the good news The good news is Jesus and who he is to you. As we continue on through this amazing gospel, I hope that John will help open our eyes to what we often miss, and that is God himself fills every moment of our lives We live and breathe the presence of Jesus. 
he is already here. You know, even as I was putting this together, because this is kind of the introduction, and I'm thinking, oh, man, how am I going to do this? Really tie all these different things in there, and I just eventually had to say, you know what? The Spirit of God is present, and I'm going to trust that God will speak into your hearts more than I can. I am going to trust that God has a way of revealing himself to us. And I pray as we go through this that he will, that you would see that there is a God who has come for you because he loves you. And you will allow that to shape your life. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that the fullness of your spirit would challenge our minds, our lives. Lord, I pray that there would be an overwhelming sense of wonder. when we see more clearly who Jesus is and all that you are as we understand him. And I do pray, God, that it would affect me. It would affect how I live. It would affect how I treat people. It would affect how I treat my wife, my children, the people who serve me at restaurants, the people who rub me the wrong way, the people who slander me. Lord, the times when I'm selfish, that I would be challenged by the person of Christ. And as we go through this tapestry of Gospels, Lord, I I pray we would see more and more the depth of who you are. That we would be able to get a glimpse. That we would be able to get a taste that would only make us thirsty for more. It is your goodness that leads us to change. So, Lord, I pray that that would take place in our hearts today and in our lives. I want to pray right now just for us together. If you are here and have been feeling maybe condemned, like you're not good enough, that your life has strayed, from what God wants. I want you to know that God is here for you. That God is running towards you. That God wants to be near you. And if you want that, would you stand with me 
and just say, God, I just want to be as close to you as I can be right here, right now, from this day moving forward. Just stand up. Make it a declaration in your heart. Know that you are not far from God. That he is present, he is here, and his love is available to you right now where you are. Lord, I pray for these who have stood. May you overwhelm them with your love and your goodness, your mercy, and your grace. Lord, how we need that grace. And you are full of truth and grace. Thank you, God. Lord, may it affect us in how we live. We do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. May you experience the glory, the weight, the substance of the only Son of the Father. bless you guys have a wonderful week you have been listening to the genesis podcast we invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings you can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast thank you for listening